0: plan for your life You've set goals. You know where you want to go. Congratulations on finding star style. Be the star you are. Our vibrant hosts, passion, purpose, and possibility producer Cynthia Bryan and her energetic daughter, healthy living specialist Heather Brittany, share the best roads, fastest detours, and successful strategies for a life worth living. Reach your potential with their personal achievement coaching, miracle moments, inspiring guests, titillating interviews, and business bites. Be introduced to new books and innovative ideas that encourage you to live a positive, sustainable lifestyle while achieving your dreams. Ignite your power, make a difference in the world, and shoot for the stars. It's the power hour of living, loving, laughing, and learning. On Star Style, be the star you are. Lend us your ears. The party starts now.
1: we partners to our informational playground, Star Style, Be The Star You Are. My name is Cynthia Bryan, and you're listening on the Voice America Empowerment Channel, where our goal is to seed, stimulate, and support space for positive, meaningful conversations that will get you talking around the dinner table. The miracle moment for today is brought to you by the 10th Annual National Be The Star You Are Essay Contest, which is sponsored by U.S. Bank. The theme is what it means to be an American. So enter today to win dollars, books, radio interviews, publicity, publication, and more. Go to StarStyleRadio.com and click on the events button. And this is a miracle moment by Rumi. I have been a seeker and I still am. But I stopped asking the books and the stars and I started listening to the teaching of my soul. Isn't that kind of what we've been all trying to do here for the last 15 years at Be The Star You Are? is Get all of us and all the listeners and, and everyone who's out there to listen to their souls, to listen to their spirits, and become the person that they were meant to be, because we truly do believe that we all have the power and that we can be the stars that we are. Well, in our program today, our Australian author, who calls America her second home, Nola Hennessey, will be back with us to talk about her latest successes while she is here in the United States. In segment two, we're going to look at how to be responsible for your own life as we compare autonomy with dependency. But right now, we are going to look back 50 years to a day that will forever cause confusion and controversy. Yes, we are talking about the assassination of the 35th President of the United States, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, which happened on November 22, 1963, at 1 p.m. in the afternoon when the calm was shattered in the two cities where he spent his final hours, both Fort Worth and Dallas, Texas. Memorials to JFK and his era have been erected, and there's a constant stream of tourists, more than a million every year. There's admirers, history buffs, and conspiracy theorists that are always visiting. The official JFK Memorial, a concrete um, open-air erection is only a couple of blocks from the famous grassy knoll at Dealey Plaza, and two white X's are painted right on Elm Street, that very busy, busy street, to mark the position of the presidential limousine when the shots hit Kennedy. Now, since... Elm Street is a major artery. Obviously, thousands of cars are driving over those X's every single day. The Texas School Book Depository, which was the perch where Lee Harvey Oswald took his shot from a window on the sixth floor, is now a museum. The Texas Theater, where he hid, is still a working movie house. Jock Ruby shot Oswald in the Dallas Municipal Building, and it is now being renovated to house the University of North Texas Law School. But the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, just as the 9-11 attacks or the day of infamy, infamy which was December 7, 1941, they all stole something precious from our nation. And if you were alive on any of these days, you know that these events changed everything as we knew it. I, I remember my parents talking about the 1941 and hearing about the attacks on Pearl Harbor and not believing what they were hearing because it always seemed that America was invincible. Of course, we remember, all of us, I think, where we were on 9-11, and we had no idea if this was World War III or a terrorist attack or what exactly was happening, but the sadness was overwhelming. And if you were alive when President Kennedy was killed, it's a time that you will never, ever forget. The grief for the killing of JFK was such a public collective of searing pain. I was just a little kid and didn't know what the word assassination meant. But because everyone around me was crying and shouting, no, no, no. I knew it must be bad. I remember going to church where the priests and the nuns and the congregation were inconsolable. And the clergy at the church where I went to, Holy Spirit, were Irish Catholics. And of course, John F. Kennedy was the first Irish Catholic president. So it was a double whammy for those of Irish heritage or of the Catholic faith because everyone was so proud of this president. And who can forget the sight on the black and white televisions of Jackie Kennedy reaching over the trunk of the convertible as they drove through Dealey Plaza to grab a part of John F. Kennedy's skull, the swearing in of President Johnson only 99 minutes later with Jackie standing by, still wearing that blood-stained pink suit, or... At the actual ceremony and funeral, three-year-old John John, and it was his birthday the day JFK was buried, saluting his dad's casket with a very stoic Jackie Kennedy wearing her black mantilla and never shedding a tear in public. I don't know if anyone's been to that eternal flame and his grave in Arlington Cemetery, but if you go there, you'll witness this inscription. Let every nation know whether it wishes us well or ill that we shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe in order to assure the survival and the success of liberty. So with the death of JFK, Americans are forever let to wonder what might have been had he lived. And 50 years later, the scars of that event are still deep and oozing because what we lost on November 22, 1963 was a mesmerizing man who obviously, as we know today, had lots of flaws, but who may have led America to a better world. And, of course, everything that has been remembered about him, he's become a legend and a hero, and has been put up there with the ranks of, of Washington and Lincoln. Is it deserved? Only you can decide. Was it a conspiracy? Who knows? It's been 50 years and there are still people out there that believe that it was. How could just one man kill the most powerful human being in that time in the free world? But let's just go over a few of the facts that happened on that, you know, the weeks leading up and that day so that you'll understand and remember what happened. 50 years ago. Well, first of all, on November 11th, 1963, President John F. Kennedy laid a Veterans Day wreath at the tomb of the unknown soldier in Arlington National Cemetery, not realizing that just two weeks later, that's where he would be buried. And uh, Jackie Kennedy, his wife, rarely traveled with her husband on any political trips, but um, this time she did decide to fly with him to Texas on November 21st. On November 22nd, the Kennedys were celebrated at a breakfast in Fort Worth. And their presidential open-top limousine had been actually flown in from Washington, D.C. for the trip because um, John F. Kennedy really liked to have the top down if the weather was good. And what was interesting about the weather is that it had been raining, and then the skies cleared up and they called it Kennedy weather because for some reason every time he went somewhere the sun would come out just as if he was the ray of sunshine. He did mention to Jackie that morning when he looked up at all the buildings in Dallas that it was, that he could be a prime target. Uh, supposedly, you know, he, he didn't feel all that secure, but he went for it anyway. Uh, Texas Governor John Connolly Jr. also received multiple gunshot wounds. A priest administered last rites to the first Roman Catholic U.S. president. And this was the fourth presidential assassination in the United States in less than 200 years. And it was the first since the Secret Service began protecting the president. The service scuffled with Dallas police for control of the president's casket. And as we know, Lyndon B. Johnson took the oath of office aboard Air Force One and becoming president just 99 minutes after Kennedy's death. His body was also aboard on that return flight to Washington. And Judge Sarah Hughes uh, administered the oath of office while she was actually crying. Jackie Kennedy didn't take off her pink Chanel suit, and it was stained with her husband's blood, but she told Lady Bird Johnson, I want them to see what they've done to Jack. And she did, however, remove her wedding ring and put it in her husband's, put it on his finger, and it was buried with him, although at a later date she had it retrieved. Her suit has still never been cleaned, and it lies in the National Archives, and it will not be seen in public until at least 2103, according to the Kennedy Family Wishes, which... Unless something happens, I don't think any of us listening to this show today will be alive. We might, Maybe it'll just be a baby. Attorney General and Presidential Brother um, Robert F. Kennedy met Air Force One at Andrews Air Force Base upon its return. And the uh, Texas School Book Depository 6th Floor, where the assassin Lee Harvey Oswald had positioned himself, is a museum, as I said earlier, dedicated to JFK's assassination. Oswald was a self-described Marcus, uh, Marxist. He had tried to defect to Russia in 1959, and at the time of the assassination of the president, um, he Oswald would have been tried in Texas. Uh, the murder weapon was a 65-millimeter Italian carbine rifle that Oswald had bought for $19.95. Now, we all have heard or seen the footage from Dallas businessman Abraham Zepp who caught the assassination on his 8 millimeter home movie camera, and his uh, his secretary had urged him to go home and get it so that he could take pictures of the parade. It was later bought by Life magazine, originally for fifty thousand, and then they uh, Life bought all the rights for a um, hundred thousand more, so he got one hundred and fifty thousand. They did leave out the screen three one three, which was the most brutal. The the most brutal shot where his head was actually made impact with the bullet. But later, life sold him back the rights to his movie for only a dollar. And today that movie is worth millions of dollars. uh, Mr. Uh, Zapruder died a few years ago until the very end of his life that movie haunted him. A police detective at the shooting called out... uh, called out um, to Jack Ruby because Jack Ruby, actually on November 24th, shot uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, and that was the first homicide that was ever caught on live television. And when he was wrestled to the ground by police, Ruby cried out, I'm Jack Ruby, you all know me. And Oswald died at the same hospital as Kennedy, two days and seven minutes after the president The New York Times reported that JFK's 98-year-old grandmother, Mary Josephine Fitzgerald, was not told of the assassination. And at the time, dignitaries from over 100 uh, countries arrived for Kennedy's funeral, and it was the largest gathering of its kind on U.S. soil, with an unexpected 250,000 people paying their respects to the president as he lay in state in the Capitol rotunda. And he laid in state in the way that Lincoln did, and that was at the behest of Jacqueline Kennedy. She was so astute and so in charge, she wanted to make sure that her husband was remembered in a, in a very elegant and presidential way. And with the help from Bobby Kennedy and Robert McNamara, uh, Jackie chose the burial site at Arlington National Cemetery and requested that that eternal flame be put on the grave. And although she did remarry, as we know, she married Onassis, she is buried next to the president today, as, long, as well as two of Kennedy's children, an infant son and daughter, um, are buried there. The funeral day was November 25th, and as I said, it was three-year-old John Jr.'s third birthday, and Carolyn turned six two days later. So um, an Irish military guard paid its respects, at the the gravesite, and they shouted in Gaelic. And then, after the funeral, Jackie Kennedy met privately with the heads of state, Charles de Gaulle, uh, Eamon de Valera of Ireland, and Halle Selassie of Ethiopia. And near midnight that night, she and Bobby paid an unplanned visit to the Kennedy grave again. And the first two letters that Lyndon Johnson wrote as president were to President Kennedy's children, Carolyn and John Jr., so where were you on that day, or where were your parents, or what do you remember? And uh, we will be celebrating in just two days the power of 50, 50 years since President John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Would the world be different today had he lived? From his assassination to today, every pre- president has Looked into his life and used many of his words and admired many of the, copied many of the things that he did. So he was the youngest president ever with the youngest wife ever. And what he did in those thousand days is always going to be referred to as Camelot. Well, when we return from break, we'll be talking about dependency and autonomy. Stay with me. I'm Cynthia Bryan. You're listening to Star Style. Be the star you are. We'll be right back. Be the
2: star you are. The star you are.
1: the star you are. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment.
0: Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan.
1: Fires to put out at work. When you have a fire at work, it puts urgency and stress into our days. Fires put us in a position of solving a problem that in many cases we didn't even know existed. And because there's this emergency or urgency, often the problems are averted or minimized, but the root cause isn't addressed, meaning that you're going to fight that same fire over and over again. While no one admits to liking firefighting, I believe that at least unconsciously, Some people actually do like causing turmoil. It provides an adrenaline rush and perhaps even provides some short-term job satisfaction. So what are the things that you can do? Stop, drop, and roll. Assuming that you really don't want to deal with the fires, those are the three steps that are going to help you keep the blazes at bay. You want to find more time to coach, develop, and better lead your team. The stop portion. You have to stop fighting with all the little problems that arise. Recognize that as a leader, the fires don't all belong to you. And with some coaching and development, they can be owned by others. Then you'll have time to work with your member team to do some prevention. Start considering turmoil and and challenges as an opportunity for coaching and development. Does it mean that you'll never roll up your sleeves and help? Not at all. But what it does mean is that if you're dealing with all of these issues, you can't do the work that you're really trained you're trained to do or paid to do so stop drop you have to drop the problems and hand it off to someone else in the moment you might have to help a bit but your help should be done consultatively so that when you are helping to fight this burning bush you're also preparing someone else to fight it so the next time just drop now role i say role spelled r-o-l-e you have to remember your role you are a leader and your role is to develop others So as you invest this time, you're providing others the opportunity to put out the fires. You're developing their skills to manage their work more effectively. And by investing the time to coach, you're creating more time to do what you do best and more effectively. So remember your role. If you find yourself putting out more and more that's keeping you from doing what you need to do, The important thing is to coach and train. As a leader, you must focus on important things like developing your people, not just the small, the small fires that pop up every day. You are the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profits. I'm Cynthia Bryan with another business bite from Star Style. For more information, call 925-377-STAR or visit starstyleproductions.com. Be
2: the star you are. Light up the flame, it burns.
1: Low literacy and poor communication skills have been identified in studies as major contributors to general conduct disorders, psychiatric disorders, criminal behavior, and adolescent suicide. To live and prosper in this society, we must be lifelong learners with access to knowledge and skills that can sustain our lives at work, at home, and in our communities. Be the Star You Are, 501c3 charity, has been working to increase literacy and improve
2: positive message programming since 1999. You can help by making a
1: tax-deductible donation today. Visit www.bethestarur.org. Everybody counts. www.bethestarur.org.
2: Be the lucky star you
3: 925-377-STAR. Be the
2: star you are. You are the star.
3: Pump up your energy and jumpstart your dreams with positive, life-changing interviews and star-studded conversations on our award-winning program, Star Style. Be the star you are. Hosted by the passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the Power Party.
1: Well, happy days to you. Thanks for staying with us here on Star Style, Be the Star. You are on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. My name is Cynthia Bryan, and this program is brought to you by Be the Star. You are 501c3 charity empowering women, families, and youth at risk through improved literacy and positive media. With these devastating tornadoes that are ripping through the Midwest again, Be the Star UR has launched Operation Disaster Relief once again. And we are determined to get resources to these thousands of homes that were lost in schools and people and get them something before the holidays. You can make a donation now at be the star you are dot org. Just click on donate. Or if it's an easier website, btsya.org. And again, click on Donate. And your uh, dollars or whatever currency you're using will go to get resources to Operation Disaster Relief. So thank you for helping others. We really do appreciate it. So happiness tips. Uh, One of my colleagues, uh, Tina Ticina, is a psychologist, and she writes often about different ways to be in love, stay in love, and, and just be, just as I want people to be, the best person they can be. So she has talked about autonomy and dependency, and I thought that it was so good that I wanted to share some of these thoughts with you. So what is the difference between autonomy and dependency? Well, first of all, self-determination and self-respect are the necessary keys for you to take full responsibility for and control over your own life. Now, without those keys, it's really easy to get up in the fantasy world that there is someone else who is going to make it better, who can or should take total uh, care of you or who is able to be responsible for you more effectively than you can for yourself. It's like that grass is always greener theory. So we get this theory for two reasons. Number one, when you were young, your parents took care of you, and then they made it better. I mean, whenever you were in trouble, hopefully you had parents and they were there. Number two, your overloaded or incompetent parents failed to teach you the skills necessary to take care of yourself or to make you feel capable of being responsible for yourself. So there's that double sword. You either had parents that took care of you and made it better, or you had parents that didn't take care of you and also did not teach you how to take care of yourself. So you start to learn autonomy when you realize how false and destructive these dreams are, when you understand that no one can take care of you better and that only you are responsible for your life you start to learn effective methods for doing these things yourself. It's this is what we mean by be the star you are. It's you have the power. No one else gives it to you. Doors can be open for you, but no one can walk you through it. No one can make you that star. You have to be willing to put the time and energy and show up, etc. So autonomy can be called several things. It could be called self-government. That's actually the dictionary definition. it's like making your own rules, living by them, being self-reliant. It can be called self-trust, which is you make a promise to yourself and you keep it, just as you would keep a promise that you're making to a friend. And you extend that same careful consideration to yourself that you would wish for and from a friend. Now, self-determination decides your own future through planning and careful action. Self-confidence, that security comes from having a sense of purpose. And self-esteem, that is an appreciation of your talents and abilities, and the recognition that you are a healthy, capable, and lovable person, in other words, you deserve to be successful. Now, higher uh, purpose and self-motivation, this is a desire to create and accomplish regardless of any outer rewards, but just for the satisfaction of the accomplishment. And I always think about this. I hear this all the time. I had a a Chamber of Commerce meeting last night, and we were talking about Be the Star You Are charity with some new people. And they always say to me, well, you know, what do you get out of it? Because I'm a volunteer like everyone else. Well, it's that self-satisfaction of accomplishing great things for other people and seeing them accomplish it for themselves, of coaching people to be the best they can be. That is the reward. So it's not that there's an outer reward, it's the satisfaction of that inner reward. Self-love, that's the healing of old pain and resentment, uh, resentment. and it's comfort with your own feelings, your own self-nurturing, and your own self-support. So by achieving the ability to take care of and be responsible for yourself, here are some of the tools that you will acquire. You acquire the emotional tools necessary to free yourself from being dependent on someone else. So that means when a problem arises, instead of blaming someone else or running away through denial or addictive behavior, an autonomous person learns the skills, faces up to whatever it is, and they find out as much as possible about what's going on. They consider their options. They weigh the possible outcomes of every option. And then they move forward. And that is the only way that you can be autonomous. They, as an autonomous person, they can ask for help, but they will remain in charge. They'll seek advice and counsel before reaching a decision and, but they still are remaining the person that is responsible for their actions. They make clear agreements and they know what is expected in return. A good example, and of course she was a little girl at the time and we thought it was funny, but I had a niece who she was maybe three years old or so, and she wet her pants. And instead of saying, I, her mom said, to her, did you wet your pants? And she said, no, Susan did it. Well, that was her sister. So she was trying to put it off on, on her sister. Well, that was, that was not a sign of being autonomous or claiming it. And yes, it's funny coming from a kid, but we can't blame people when we do things, obviously, that we do when we get older. Now, the role models that enable a person to choose appropriate friends and a suitable mate, that is very important because the interaction you have with yourself is a role model for all of your other relationships. So first, you have to learn about autonomy in yourself to help you see it in others. So when you have a very caring, responsible relationship with yourself, you develop an internal relationship model to use as the basis for your friendships and, you know, your love relationships with others. And it's interesting, I think what's so interesting about autonomy and dependency is that we tend not to take the time for ourselves, yet that is absolutely crucial. So the understanding that you are responsible for yourself and must learn whatever you need to make your life successful, functional, and happy is very critical to autonomy. The popular idea of parents' responsibility for children can truly be counterproductive because parents think in terms of owning and controlling their offspring rather than teaching them to make choices on their own. And many children are taught dependency that way, not autonomy. So when parents have those attitudes They're actually preventing children from learning self-esteem and the pleasure of self-love and self-confidence and self-determination and self-control. And then many of those kids become addictive adults. So kids who are are taught self-esteem and autonomy, they take care of themselves and are viewed many times with a disbelief. It's like, they can't be that good, but yes, they can be. And, you know, and other people may say, oh, some people have all the luck. But, you know, again, we don't believe in luck. We really believe in creating it. So another reason autonomy can seem difficult is because most of our society actively discourages it. Media images of love and caring, a parental I know what's best for you attitude, you know, among uh, professionals or religious or political figures, or the generally accepted idea of it's a parent's duty to create an atmosphere in which Autonomy seems to be selfish and alien, and that's all wrong. We're influenced to value caring for others to the point of martyrdom and to regard caring for ourselves as self-centered and egotistic, and that's not true. So contrary to these beliefs, independence and autonomy actually enhance relationships with others and allow giving and receiving to be truly unconditional. So only a person who is fully able to care for himself or herself can be free to love and give freely and depriving people of uh, giving grudgingly. So we want to learn to be autonomous and to teach our children to be autonomous and not to be dependent, because it's so critical to our self-worth, our self-development, and to being the star you are. So without being indulgent or feeling victimized by the world or or circumstances, Take possession of your life and be the star you were born to be. And before we go to break, I just want to mention once again that Be The Star You Are is accepting donations for Operation Disaster Relief to help the Midwest with all the tornadoes. Go to btsya.org or org. Everyone will appreciate this, especially with the holidays coming. And when we return from break, the amazing Nola Hennessy our adopted Aussie is back with us to talk about what has been going on for her since she's landed on U.S. soil and everything that has happened in her success life since we last spoke with her. My name is Cynthia Bryan. You're listening to Star State. I'll be the star you are. Don't go away. We're coming right back with Nola. Be the
2: star you are. The star you are.
1: your world,
4: change your life, VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com.
3: Two seven. Cynthia Bryan is your guide on the side. www.cynthiabryan.com You can be the star you are. Be
2: the star you are. The star you are.
3: In your headphones and tune in to enlightening interviews with acclaimed authors and success experts as our Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan, gabs with the gurus. Lend us your ears for the Power Hour on Star Style. Be the star you are. Now, here's Cynthia Bryan.
1: You know, you have a plan for your life. You set goals. You know where you want to go. And uh, there are always detours, but that's why we bring you the authors and the experts. On this show, Star Style, Be The Star You Are. You are listening to the Empowerment Channel on Voice American Network. My name is Cynthia Bryan and this is Star Style, Be The Star You Are. Well, when it comes to empowerment, Nola Hennessy, our Australian author and you know media star, she believes in being upstream, providing prevention before cure education. She reads about in the news all the stories of disasters and and guns and drive-by shootings and rampages in schools, etc. And so she is here again in the United States with Serenidad Consulting with her books to discuss all the possibilities of how she can bring peace to the planet. Welcome back, Nola, to Star Style. Be the star you are. Thank you very much, Cynthia. It's lovely to be in the U.S. again. Well, we know that America is your adopted country, (laughs) and uh, America has reached out to you because we need your message. So you are now in Mississippi, and you've got an incredible tour that you are going on with the festivals and meetings with the powerhouses. You take it away. Tell us what's going on and what we need to know on all your strategic intent with Serenidad Consulting as well as with your books?
4: There are three key reasons that I've come to the U.S. this time. Uh, Firstly, is to bring my books uh, to Miami Book Fair. I'm headed there. I'll be there on Friday. Uh, the anniversary of JFK's assassination, unfortunately. Uh, but I've chosen to drive. I came into Dallas. I've chosen to drive all the way to Florida. And it's interesting. There's a couple of things that I'll raise with you that I've heard on the radio while I've been driving. I have another 12 hours to go yet, but um, I'm here in Mississippi. I'm kind of halfway and uh, enjoying my trip. The, the second reason that I'm here is to finalize with the... Texas government what's required for me to form uh, a, a corporate entity and I can tell you that the the people there at Texas government that are so helpful and I'm looking forward to seeing them in a couple of weeks and going through the paperwork that needs to be done and making sure everything is correct and, and you know, we structure our new corporate head office here in Texas the right way. And the third reason that I'm here is to talk with universities about our education and training programs and the ones that I'm thinking of more so that are important to them are the ones for youth and for young adults and it's around the empowerment of those young people to understand themselves better, be able to achieve great things, not just good things and to be the best that they can be and, you know, if, if capturing people when they are still forming their uh, opinions about things. They've already got their value system in place by that age, but they're actually forming their opinions quite solidly and choosing paths for themselves once they get to teenage years and it's important that the messages that we bring which are around personal empowerment, personal resilience... Organizational resilience obviously flows from that, but uh, people being good people, living with integrity, um, speaking honestly, that's the kind of stuff that I've been asked to bring to the United States and fortunately, we have our, our first university that I've contacted. The first university wants to actually talk about the programs and what we can do and that's northwest uh, of Texas. That, that region uh, north of Dallas. So I'm really excited about that discussion that we'll have in about ten days, and we'll see what else comes. And you know, I'm not I'm not pushing here. It's something where I feel that the the uh, the pull is happening, and we're just making sure that what we do is right, and it's going to have long term benefits, not just short term wins. Well, you have
1: always held fast to the idea that. People have the power to make a change. And this is why you wrote your books, No Boxing Allowed, and from PMS to, to PMA. And of course, you will have your your talking to Brown books to get your autobiography out next year, I believe, sometime. So what changes have you seen in just in the I know you just arrived here, but what have you really seen transpiring in the last year? What are the major changes that you feel that Serenidad Consulting can really affect? Because your whole idea is about creating peace and raising self-conscious, caring individuals.
4: You know, one of the one of the things that I've, I've watched very closely what's happening politically and also economically in the U.S., and something I heard on the radio kind of just it was almost like the tick of the box. Uh, a, a guy was talking about um, uh, politics in in the northern part of the country and what was really necessary in order for the country to move forward. And he made the point that politicians need to give up a little bit of their power and not be so focused on the power. Now, I think... That's possibly true, but it depends whether he's talking about personal power or positional power. Since the Democrats were elected back in, we've seen, uh, you know, an ebb and a flow and an ebb and a flow of satisfaction within the broader U.S. Um, uh, demographic. And so, obviously, things haven't settled yet, and, and there's a lot of controversy about you know, Obamacare and all those sorts of things. But when we're talking about power, people often get that confused with control. And you don't have to give up your personal power. So anybody in this country is immensely powerful just simply by using their personal power in a positive way. The people who have positions that allow them to make decisions on behalf of other people, like politicians, they make decisions that affect everybody they need to be more strategic in their decision-making. So they need to look at the long-term and the short-term impacts of the decisions that they make and look also widely and, you know, to great depths as to what those changes will affect and the effects of those changes into the future. But the, the thing that I think this particular fellow was more focused on was that people need to give up a bit of control because people often see that if they don't have control of everything, then they're not powerful. And that's actually the the the, the construct that is not helping this country. People have control of themselves. They have every ounce of control, generally speaking. They can control their decisions, their actions, their words, or what they don't do and don't say as well. So their inactions and their silence. They can control those things. And it's the power aspect that people confuse with control. Everybody has personal power. They can use it negatively or positively. If they couple positive personal power with positive positional power and they let go a little bit of the control need, then the U.S. will get into a level of balance and people will relax. As I say in my first book, the minute that you stop pushing for something to happen, you back off the universal energy. The shift in the universe occurs in order for that change to happen in the right way. People can push really hard for an outcome and it may not be the very best outcome. They might lie, they might cheat, they might swindle to get that outcome. But if they push too hard, they don't get the right outcome. The second that you back off the pushing and the control and the need for control, that's when the good shift in universal energy happens.
1: And, you know, it's so amazing, Nola. I'm so glad you brought that point up because it really works. It's like you sometimes you have to close one door to let another one open or, you know, you open a window, whatever that is, but you can't keep pushing. And you have won 16 international awards for both No Boxing Allowed and from PMS to PMA. And now you are on your way to the Miami Book Festival, where most likely you're going to win some more. And one of the things I loved in your book, and this ties into what you were just saying, about how we should hold a mirror up to ourselves. Talk about that, because... So often, when you were talking about letting go of control, I think that's kind of part of it, is we don't look closely enough at our own actions and contribute to the collective, you know, the collective conscious.
4: That's very true. You know the saying about there's six degrees of separation, so, you know, if you meet somebody, there would be a connection about six times where within that person's universe, you know, out, out of a certain linkage to other people, there's only about six degrees or six people of separation before there's some commonality found. Well, I actually believe it's two degrees. I believe that every other person has a link to you, but you don't realize. But when it comes to universal energy, if I chose, if I chose to drive on the wrong side of the road, as if I was driving in Australia here, then I would create a motor vehicle incident. So I choose to drive on the correct side of the road. If I chose not to have brakes, then I would fatigue myself and put myself and other people at risk. Every decision that I make immediately has an impact. Unless I'm alone on this earth, you know, it has an immediate impact on everybody around me, and. That the impact on them then impacts on other people. So it's almost like a ripple effect. If If everybody thinks about themselves as the little pebble that drops into the lake, a still lake, very flat, they will create, no matter what they do or don't do, say or don't say, there will be a ripple effect. And the reason that I say that is actually quite simple. We live on a planet where we're held on this planet by gravity and that's created by electromagnetic forces. We have a North Pole, South Pole. You know, we know that our universal construct allows human beings to stay on the planet without floating off into space. So we can't ignore the... Um, energetic influences that there are out there. There are energy meridians in the body that allows us to have positive and negative energy flow. We all know what happens when blockages occur in those energy meridians and and we have, you know, acupressure and massage on chi points and we have chakra points. So a lot of people know all that stuff now but they're not thinking in terms of actions and inactions, words and, and silence. And in fact... There's almost too much dialogue, I think, still. We need to, as a humanity, we need to learn to stop talking so much and listen.
1: That's a great, that is a great point because you are right. It's like when everybody's talking, no one is listening to anything we can't hear. If you're just joining us, we are talking with Australian author Nola Hennessy. She is the award-winning author 16 awards as of today of No Boxing Allowed and from PMF to PMA, as well as she is the CEO and founder of Serenidad Consulting. The website is SerenidadConsulting.com with Serenidad meaning peace. And this is, she is here in the United States now to bring her programs and to finalize plans for the formation of her new global uh, main office, head office in Texas. You know, I find it really interesting that you are here on the 50th anniversary uh anniversary of President uh, John F Kennedy's assassination because I think the US is so ready for you to, with your message right now because your messages of uh, of global peace and of autonomy and of also of sharing, caring, being fair, all those values are values that he brought to the nation, so and, I found and, it, yes. I, I just find it fascinating, Nola, that you chose this exact time, and that you're going to be having many meetings in Texas, and that'll be your home
4: state. Well, you know, I didn't choose it for that reason about JFK, and I've read one of the bio- biographical books about him, and he's a very interesting man, and and. Uh, I didn't choose that anniversary particularly. It was almost like the universe made that happen. In effect. well, that's exactly uh, but, what I
1: mean. Is I bet you didn't even yes. think about it because you've had this trip planned for a long time, and nobody's really thought about this until the last few weeks. You know, exactly about this anniversary. So it is the universe, and that ties into what you're saying already about we yes. just have to let go, and you just can't plan. You know, you can't, you can't push. You didn't push. You didn't push. No, I you you just didn't. let it flow, right? You let it flow,
4: and and you know the. I think as much as there people need to be realistic about living day to day, the couple of things that I just want to raise that I know that we can help with with our education programs. As I was driving through Louisiana, um, I picked up on the New Orleans radio and. There was a particular gentleman speaking about surveys that they did of levels of safety and public opinion about politicians, judges, the judicial system, the criminal courts, you know, that kind of stuff, and and how well the sheriff was doing in a particular area uh, and... One of the things or two things that he said that were significant was when they surveyed people in terms of safety, uh, New Orleans is one of the most unsafe cities in in the country and most people hear a number of gunshots every month and more um, at, at sort of holiday season time, which is really quite sad. The other thing was that prior to Hurricane Katrina, the education system in New Orleans, and I think in Louisiana more generally, was at an all-time low, and there was a huge dissatisfaction with the public education system. And I'm driving along thinking, why aren't there minimum key performance indicators for the public education system? Why isn't there a standardized curriculum that means that any child... Whose parent utilises the public system to educate them? They get a minimum education, no matter where they are in the United States, no matter what um, uh, you know their socio-economic status is. They still get to learn certain things at a certain age, and they can graduate with a high school diploma. And and what you know, why is it that there is so much? Uh, difference in it's almost like an entitlement difference and I thought you know is it the students don't want to learn is it the teachers have given up have the parents given up and they and they really don't give a damn because the economy's suffering you know what is the reason there's got to be a root cause and I and it's okay to talk about the symptoms but unless the root cause is identified it's never going to be resolved.
1: Oh, exactly. And this, I was talking about this in the first in the segment before yours is that we always have to get to the bottom of it. And this is what you are, up because you really can bring the teaching through your books, through your programs, not only about the hard and challenging stuff, but also about the spiritual growth and how to nurture your souls. And I really, I believe the way that you want to train others and deliver these messages is because you know at a core level that everyone deserves that minimum kind of education and that you can deliver a consistent educational program across the country if you just implement, you put it into place. And so you are meeting with people to do this. And uh, I'm so excited for you because... You know, maybe that's what America needs is somebody that comes from down under that has really taken a look at what we're doing and how we can make it better. Because why can't we have great education and peacemaking programs at the same time?
4: And you know, it's, it's more about re-engineering. If something isn't working and you've got to do a, you know, an analysis of what it is and find the root cause and do what they call root cause analysis. Once you know where you want to go and where you're, where you are, you can actually map the journey to get to where you want to go. And that's when you have to either re-engineer things or completely throw out the old model and bring in a whole new model. Now, throwing out the old, bringing in the new is a good approach if that's the most cost effective. And risk appropriate and so on. But those strategic decisions at some point need to be made because, for some, if I was just a tourist and I was here and I didn't have a, a, a commercial and also a, a spiritual desire to be here in this country, um, then I would think, my God, who would ever want to live in New Orleans, Louisiana?
1: Right, right. Well, and thank goodness, you know, you're able to see the bigger picture. Well, let's give out your website and your the, your books once again because I look forward to hearing what happens in two days in Miami. I'm sure you're going to come back with more awards. So you well, can... Could- <laughs> yeah, I mean,
4: I'm sure... Nola, you that just won't, do that. Actually, won't happen. It, it's a it's a book fair, so we're there with our books, and and I'll be doing probably more listening to people, and and we have our books available for sale. So it's not a festival, as in an awards kind of thing. It's more about being there with a whole lot of other authors, and it's an opportunity to network and for me to be able to talk with people about the company, what we're doing, and about my books and. So on, so that's really what that's oh, about. That's
1: on Friday. Better. So let's give out the website. It's serenadadconsulting.com, and the book's No Boxing Allowed, and from PMS to PMA. And we're running out of time. But why don't you just leave us with some last thoughts? What do you want the listeners to know about Serenadad Consulting? about NOLA, uh, about what you're doing here, whatever you, what, what would you like to finalize with?
4: I think the, the critical thing from my point of view is I work on first impressions and since I arrived I've been welcomed with such a friendly approach by people and I'm here to do good things. Uh, my company, we will do good things and we will help. Uh, we're not going to hinder, we're going to facilitate People need to embrace change, and yes, I'm an Australian. I want to bring my operation to the USA. That change is an opportunity. It's not a threat, and if people see change as an opportunity, that's when they stay in a positive mindset, and that's what we need to stick with. That's the vision everybody needs to hold is that there will be something good even though the times at the moment are really tough. I love that you
1: end with that because we always have said that change is just another word for learning. So everything can be a blessing as long as we're learning and growing. So there's a way to move forward with healing and to live a full and free life. Please pick up a copy of Nola Hennessy's book, Books, No Boxing Allowed, and from PMS to PMA. And we'll be looking forward to her autobiography. That will be out next year. Have a wonderful time at the Miami Book Festival. And also, we know that it will be successful with all these meetings that you are going to be having with um, the universities and the the powers that be to bring positive change here to our country. Thank you. Thank you, Nola, for joining us and success. Thank you to all the listeners around the world for joining us every week here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Remember that love always wins, smiles make us happy, and that you have the power. So go out into the world and be the star you are. I'm Cynthia Bryan. We'll be with you next week. Thanks for joining me. And big hugs to you, Nola. Thanks for being on the air. That's a pleasure. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Be
2: the star you are. The star you are.